Welcome to Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio with author, speaker, and your host, Pat Rulo, serving you a generous helping of everything you need to know to help you and your loved ones stay safe during any doctor or hospital visit. The program is not intended to replace medical advice from a licensed professional, but rather to encourage you to become a well-informed participant in your health and well-being. And now, your host, Pat Rulo. Hello and welcome. I'm Pat Rulo, the voice for patient safety, where each week we delve into little-known healthcare and hospital hazards, as well as other fringe topics that affect your health and well-being. I'm so happy you've taken the time to join me, and today I have lots to share with you. So, let's dig right in, shall we? Well, today I'm going back to my patient safety roots to scare. Oh, no, I didn't mean to say that to prepare you for some crazy yet common healthcare hazards. I want to share with you the 2019 top 10 health technology hazards, an executive brief from ECRI Institute. For 50 years, the ECRI Institute, a nonprofit organization, has been dedicated to discover which medical procedures, devices, drugs, and processes are best, all to enable you to improve patient care. Now they say this hazards list identifies the potential sources of dangers that we believe warrant the greatest attention for the coming year. The list does not enumerate the most frequently reported problems or the ones associated with the most severe consequences, although we do consider such information in our analysis. Rather, the list reflects our judgment about which risks should receive priority now. So here is number one, cybersecurity attacks. Cybersecurity attacks that infiltrate a network by exploiting remote access functions on connected devices and systems remain a significant threat to healthcare operations. Attacks can render devices or systems inoperative, can degrade their performance or expose or compromise the data they hold, all of which can severely hinder the delivery of patient care and put patients at risk. These remote systems, they are by nature publicly accessible. Once they gain access, attackers can move to other connected devices or systems installing ransomware or other malware, stealing data, or rendering it unusable. Well, not much we as patients can do about this, but I would suggest that if you use online charting or charts offered by hospitals these days, that you monitor the information on them to make sure you don't find anything that doesn't apply to you. All right, number two on the list, clean mattresses, clean in quotes, clean mattresses can ooze body fluids onto patients. Ugh, and I did a show about this one in the past. Blood and other body fluids that remain on or within mattresses or mattress covers after cleaning can contact subsequent patients posing an infection risk. Reported incidents include patients lying on an apparently clean bed or stretcher when blood from a previous patient oozed out of the surface onto the patient. Oh, imagine that. Mattress covers are intended to prevent body fluids and other contaminants from getting into mattresses. 
If a cover is not cleaned and disinfected effectively, or if its integrity is compromised in any way that allows the mattress underneath to become contaminated, patients could be exposed to infectious materials. Now, mattresses themselves are not cleaned and disinfected between patients, just the covers. So healthcare facilities must take care to use appropriate products and procedures for cleaning and disinfecting mattress covers, and they should regularly inspect mattresses and covers for signs of damage or contamination. Now, this situation needs to be remedied. And as a patient, I think the only thing you can do is ask, is there a clean cover on this mattress? Now, I'm sure whoever you ask will say the obligatory yes and move on. All right. Number three, retained sponges persist as a surgical complication. And once again, I did a show on this one, and if we have time, I will share that episode in a bit. Surgical sponges that are unintentionally left inside the patient after the surgical site is closed can lead to infection and other serious complications, including the need for secondary operations. Manual counts in which the surgical team verifies that all sponges are accounted for before concluding the procedure, that's a standard practice, but they're obviously prone to error. If such errors result in a retained sponge, complications can ensue with consequences for both the patient and the healthcare facility. Accurate data on the incidence of retained surgical sponges is hard to come by. For one thing, incidents may not be identified unless or until the patient returns with a complaint of pain or discomfort. Nevertheless, we know the problem persists. Available data suggests that every year, Thousands of United States patients could experience a retained surgical item, with surgical sponges being the most commonly retained item. Now, technologies that supplement the manual counting processes are available and have been found to be effective when used correctly. Again, not much you can do as a patient under anesthesia, but I'd sure mention this to my surgical team prior to going under the knife. Tell them to put their best counting to work, and then after surgery, be mindful of any pain. Number four, improperly set ventilator alarms put patients at risk for brain injury or death. Mechanically ventilated patients are at risk if user-adjustable ventilator alarms are not tailored to the patient's respiratory parameters. Leaks, disconnections, and other failures associated with the ventilator's components are fairly common and can quickly lead to harm if the condition is not identified and fixed promptly. These devices rely on plastic breathing circuits to help convey respiratory gases between the ventilator and the patient. Loose connections, manufacturing defects, or other problems with these components can prevent adequate ventilation. And within minutes, this can result in brain injury or death. Properly set alarms can prevent such consequences. Yet, the ECRI Institute continues to investigate deaths resulting from breathing circuit disconnections during which no alarm activated. And as a patient, all you can do is ask and let the staff know you are concerned. Next, we have mishandling flexible endoscopes after disinfection can lead to patient infections. And if you remember, I did a segment on this just a few weeks ago. Cleaning and disinfecting flexible endoscopes between uses is known 
to be a challenging process. Failure to precisely follow a robust reprocessing protocol can lead to debilitating or even fatal infections. Less well-known is that improper handling and storage practices can recontaminate previously disinfected scopes, heightening the risk of patient infection. If endoscopes are not completely dried after being subjected to high-level disinfection, any remaining microbes can rapidly proliferate and colonize inside the instruments. So to promote drying, the ECRI Institute recommends purging these endoscope channels with clean air at the end of the reprocessing process. The disinfected status of endoscopes can also be compromised if the instruments are handled with unclean gloves, a practice that the ECRI Institute has observed. Endoscopes that have been cleaned but not yet high-level disinfected are still contaminated with viable microbes. Therefore, gloves used to handle an endoscope at that stage must not be used to remove the scope from the reprocessing machine. Well, that sounds fairly obvious, right? And again, as a patient, I would surely ask my doctor prior to the procedure to make sure the scope is cleaned properly. If they know that you are concerned and aware and that you actually had the conversation with them, should something go wrong, you at least have that to bring to the table should things get legal. Next, we have confusing dose rate with flow rate can lead to infusion pump medication errors. And my mom suffered this disaster during her four-month hospital stay. Mistakes, such as entering the flow rate into an infusion pump's dose rate field, can lead to dangerous medication errors. Clinicians tell us that such wrong field programming occurs relatively frequently, although such errors often go unreported. Now, infusion pumps are designed to deliver medications and other solutions to the patient at a certain and specified rate. If the rate programmed into the pump is incorrect, the patient will receive either too little or too much solution. Either situation can have grave consequences depending on the solution being delivered. Again, folks, you've got to ask. Next, we have improper customization of alarm settings may result in missed alarms. <laughs> and here we go again. On several occasions, I've done episodes on alarm fatigue, and I can't tell you how many times during my mom's hospital stay, the nurses or aides simply silenced the alarms. Improper customization of the alarms on monitoring systems could prevent the staff from learning about significant changes in the patient's status or about problems with the medical device or the system. Failure to recognize and respond to such conditions in a timely manner can result in serious patient injury or death. Now, these systems must be designed and configured to strike that balance between activating too many alarms, specifically what they call nuisance alarms that can lead to alarm fatigue. And alarm fatigue is when the staff just hears so many alarms that after a while they become sensitized, don't even notice them, and activating too few alarms, which can lead to hazardous conditions being missed. So again, as a patient or an advocate, just ask, are you sure this is set up properly? Or if an alarm goes off and nobody enters your room, that's when you exit the room as an advocate and ask, the alarm is beeping, are we in trouble? No harm in asking, it just shows you are an educated and informed consumer. Next, we have injury risk from overhead patient lift systems. 
And wow, this was always a scary thing when during my mom's hospital stay at a rehab, they used a Hoyer lift to extract her from her bed because she couldn't move by herself. Overhead patient lift systems are implemented as a safety technology, but they're not without their own safety challenges. Significant injury or damage can occur if the system is designed, installed, used, or maintained improperly. They're designed to lift and transfer patients, such as from a bed to a wheelchair. During use, the patient is placed in a sling suspended from a lifting mechanism. Now, most overhead lifts use a motorized trolley that travels along an overhead track that's mounted to the ceiling or a wall or that is part of a freestanding frame built around the patient's bed. Obviously, lift components that fall from above or that fail during use can harm patients, care providers, and visitors. Risks can be reduced by having qualified personnel install the system, thoroughly testing the system after installation, assessing the condition of the lift before and during each use, and performing regular preventive maintenance. And I might add this myself, having a competent and physically fit person or two to assist with the transfer. Often during my mom's stay, two tiny girls would come in to do this. Not that my mom was heavy, but this was always a frightening thing for me to watch. Or how about this one? Cleaning fluid seeping into electrical components can lead to equipment damage and fires. Never thought of that one. Overzealous or improper cleaning of electrical equipment can result in equipment malfunction, damage, or fire. Medical devices and other electrical equipment used in healthcare facilities need to be cleaned and disinfected to prevent cross-contamination between patients and uh, curtail the spread of infectious organisms. However, some cleaning practices can present risks. The use of cleaning or disinfectant wipes that are dripping with excess fluid or spraying liquids directly onto powered medical devices and equipment can cause the fluid to enter electrical components such as plugs, sockets, or power supplies. And the residue it leaves behind can create errant current pathways around the electrical component that eventually can generate sufficient heat to cause a device failure or worse. The ECRI Institute is aware of multiple instances in which cleaning fluid seeping into electrical components has led to equipment damage or fire. Incidents have involved infusion pumps, OR tables, infant warmers, and electrical equipment such as light switches and power supplies. So I guess as a patient or an advocate, if you see a housekeeper or anyone else cleaning improperly, time to wave your hand and raise the red flag here. And last, we have insufficiently charged batteries. Sounds like an obvious one, but uh, here we go. Insufficiently charged batteries can affect the readiness and operation of medical devices that rely on rechargeable batteries to temporarily power the device. If no other alternative device or source of power is available, serious injury or death could result, particularly if the equipment is needed for life-saving or life-sustaining therapy. Staff failing to properly charge or maintain batteries is one concern. And from what I've noticed, it's almost like no one is in charge of monitoring the battery life. Is it the nurses? Is it the aides? I mean, who's, who's in charge of this? But often the fault lies with the equipment. In one incident, a ventilator's battery status gauge overstated the charge remaining. The device stopped ventilating the patient shortly after initiating a low battery alarm. 
in another a defibrillator did not clearly warn of a low battery condition and as a result the device shut down during a resuscitation attempt here's another example a patient was on a portable ventilator in the emergency department while awaiting a bed in the intensive care the portable ventilator had a dual power supply one from a wall socket and one from the battery on the unit unbeknownst to the staff the circuit breaker for the wall socket into which the ac cord was connected had tripped and the ventilator was running on battery power when the battery charge ran out several hours later the patient had a cardiopulmonary arrest. So I want you to also think about batteries when you're using any life-saving device, such as an oxygen tank. If you've got a portable oxygen tank, please be mindful of the battery life situation. So there you have it, lots of things that can and do go wrong. And as a patient, it's nearly impossible to monitor all of this. Now, this is where a patient advocate comes in. If someone else is with you, he or she can at least ask about or check on some of these things is everything plugged in are the alarms set correctly and no it's not weird or rude to ask a life is at stake and from conversations i've had with healthcare workers they are actually impressed when a patient or family member or advocate is interested to be part of the process or heck blame me tell them i have a friend who always asks about whatever it is that concerns you. And then you can ask, should I be concerned too? So now it's not you looking like a kook, it's me. My bottom line point is this, dangers lurk in hospitals and we as patients have every right. Come on, it's only sensible to ask questions. As I always say, you have to speak up and stay alive. Listen to Pat Rulo and Speak Up and Stay Alive Radio. Stay safe from little-known healthcare and hospital hazards. To learn more, go to speakupandstayalive.com. That's speakupandstayalive.com. A fractured fairy tale called Urfo, the tale of the little lost sponge. Once upon a time, there was a little sponge named Urfo, U-R-F-O. And I'll tell you how we got that strange name in a moment. Urfo lived in the hospital with thousands of other clean little white sponge brothers and sisters. They lived a nice, cottony life, all lined up and accounted for, just waiting to help out during the next surgery. One day, a man was rushed into the operating room. Mr. Patient. We'll call him Mr. P. Mr. P was in a car accident and the steering wheel jammed into his abdomen. The surgery required many surgical tools and instruments and, of course, Lots of sponges. Urfo and his siblings were so happy to help out. After hours of surgery and in preparing to close the surgical site, those in charge of keeping track of all the little sponges counted and recounted them. And once happy that everyone was accounted for, the doctor closed up the wound and eventually sent Mr. P home to recuperate. But wait, not so fast. Poor little Urfo did not fare so well. He was left behind, and no one knew it. Help, yelled poor little Urfo. I'm still inside Mr. P's body. Hello, anyone? But no one heard him. Oh, and I mentioned earlier that I would tell you why he got the name Urfo. It stands for Unintended Retention of a Foreign Object, U-R-F-O. 
Sounds like some kind of alien encounter, doesn't it? Well, actually, it is an alien encounter. A sponge is an alien object not supposed to live inside a human body. Well, meantime, years went by and poor Urfo was becoming encased in omentum and intestines and all kinds of fibrous reactionary gunk. With his last breath, Urfo wondered out loud, what can I do to get Mr. P's attention? Oh, I know. How about some abdominal pain, nausea, vomiting, anorexia, and weight loss? Soon Mr. P began to feel Urfo's signals, so he went to his doctor. Hmm, not sure what's going on here. Are you stressed? Any changes in your eating habits? Old age? All in your head? Urfo continued sending signals for the next few months and created a palpable mass. Ha, said Urfo. They won't miss this. Mr. P returned to his doctor once again proving his painful symptoms with this lump that he could clearly feel with his hands. The doctor ordered a scan of the suspicious lump. The CAT scan showed a round, well-defined soft tissue mass containing an internal high-density area. Could be a tumor, announced the doctor. Tumor schmoomer yelled Urfo, and he exploded into an internal infection mess. Now someone will take action. Well, the short addition is Mr. P had to have a second surgery to remove poor Urfo and free him from his life as an alien object. So why am I telling you this fractured fairy tale? Well, a few weeks ago, the Joint Commission issued an alert on unintended retention of foreign objects, warning hospitals and surgery centers to address the problem. The Joint Commission said hospitals and ambulatory care centers must improve their counting procedures and other safeguards to reduce the number of objects left inside patients after a wound closure. The Joint Commission is the agency that accredits and qualifies most American hospitals. We've talked about them on this program before. Well, according to the Joint Commission's report, retained surgical sponges were the most frequently reported sentinel event, although other goodies have also been known to get left behind. Needles, instruments, gloves, and so on. This means that an instrument or sponge left in a patient after surgery is not necessarily a rare medical error and continues to be a patient safety and surgical quality issue. Surgical sponges are the most common foreign materials retained, particularly in the abdominal cavity, because of their frequent usage and small size. Now you're probably thinking of the big pink bathroom sponge or a kitchen sponge, Surgical sponges are small, like a small bandage. A blood-soaked sponge in an abdomen can be difficult to distinguish from just plain old blood. Those especially at risk are patients who are obese, have emergency surgery, or have unplanned changes to their originally planned procedure. To avoid this unintentional retention of a foreign object, four separate counts are recommended. First, when instruments and sponges are first unpacked and set up, a second before the beginning of the surgical procedure, a third as closure begins, and a final count during final skin closure. So it's easy to see that in an emergency situation, all of this counting just might not happen. Or when abnormal bleeding occurs, the staff may just start grabbing sponges without counting them. So how are these missing sponges found? In some cases, a lost sponge may be discovered by accident during an x-ray or during an unrelated surgical procedure. Surgical sponges are made of cotton. They adhere well and can become encapsulated like what happened to our poor little Urfo. This explains why patients may remain without symptoms for a long time as the body tries to react to the foreign object. The most common symptoms are pain, a palpable mass, 
vomiting, weight loss, diarrhea, and abdominal distension. Four years after having a hysterectomy, a woman in Kentucky began to experience severe abdominal pain. A CT scan revealed a surgical sponge left behind by the surgical team that had performed the hysterectomy. Upon surgical exploration, the retained sponge was found to have caused a serious infection, which required bowel resection. The patient suffered from severe health issues, anxiety, depression, disability, and social isolation. The average total cost of care related to an ERFO is about $166,000. These unintended retention of foreign objects used to be called never events. And for good reason. This should never happen. The Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services stopped reimbursing healthcare facilities for post-operative complications related to retained surgical instruments in 2008. Well, that sounds like a good thing, right? Why would a hospital get paid for making a mistake? But apparently, Medicare isn't helping either. Recently, the agency that funds Medicare announced plans to stop publicly reporting on objects left in by hospitals serving Medicare beneficiaries. Wow, in typical fashion, that sounds like a mess. Voluntary reporting? Hello, I'd like to voluntarily report that I left a surgical retractor inside my patient? Hmm. Now that is a fairy tale. So what can you do? Research your hospital prior to making plans for any kind of surgery. Specifically ask about their unintended retention of foreign object rates. How do they manage the counting of sponges? Is it a manual count? Do they have a barcoding system to make sure all supplies are accounted for and that nothing's left inside you? I have resources on the website under the free stuff tab that lists hospital rating groups like leapfroggroup.org. Just visit our site, speakupandstayalive.com. Because of the long delay before symptoms and complications emerge, if you have subtle complaints and questionable image findings, a lump or a mass that you can feel, and most importantly, if you've had a previous surgery, remember this segment today. Unintended retention of foreign objects. The chances are quite low that this is the problem, but definitely should be on your ask list. And so that ends my tale of Urfo, the little lost sponge. Hi, I'm Jana Panaritas, host of the AgeWise podcast. I lived with my mother for three years after my father died, and as her primary caregiver, I was often reluctant to take time for myself, just like this caregiver who was a guest on the podcast. It took me a long time to get to that point to say, it's okay if I pay the caregiver to stay with my husband while I go get a massage or while I go shopping, because I still have to take care of myself too. Eventually, I realized that filling my needs was just as important as filling my mother's needs. Please give yourself a break by tuning in to hear the stories of caregivers just like you and me. Listen to a brand new episode at speakuptalkradio.com. To learn more about the show, visit the AgeWise website. That's A-G-E-W-Y-Z dot com. I think as a caregiver, you feel like you're so responsible for that person. And if you're not there, they're not going to be taken care of. Hi there, I'm Gina Murphy-Darling, the host of Mrs. Green's World, and I would really love for you to become a part of that world. We talk about things like the faceless villain of climate change, our compromised food supply, and about how to become a conscious consumer. But it's not all bad news. We educate, we inspire, we engage. We always leave you with some small steps you can take to make a difference for this great planet of ours and help you live the healthy life you deserve. Please visit MrsGreensWorld.com to learn more and become a part of our world.
Well, there you have it. Lots to think about and plenty to share with others. And to do so, simply head over to the website, speakupandstayalive.com, where you can listen to today's show again and hear previous episodes, all under the Radio Archives button. And while you're there, visit the shop page to get a copy of the life-saving book, Speak Up and Stay Alive, Your Hospital Survival Guide. And if you just need more of me, invite me to speak to your group, club, church, business, or hospital. My presentations are fun, fast-paced, informative, and life-saving. Visit speakupandstayalive.com for more information. Email me at pat at speakupandstayalive.com or call me and leave a message on the radio studio line, 440-725-5462. That is 440-725-5462. Well, that is it for today. Until next time, I hope you have a healthy and a happy week. I am Pat Rulo, and I am the voice for Informed Choice. Whether looking to sell your home at top market value or searching for your dream home at a competitive price, the McCaskey team can help. 440-773-5542 or visit their website, mccaskeyteam.com, mccaskeyteam.com.